through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, you know, President Biden announcing his nomination for the Supreme Court, it, it, it's no surprise. He, he said he was going to find a, a black woman. She's clearly experienced. She is very, she's, I think if you look at her record, you're going to find a very, very liberal jurist. But that is what to expect from you know somebody that Biden would appoint, just like you would expect a Republican president to appoint a conservative jurist. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next month or two um, as the confirmation process proceeds. Keep in mind, at least as of the last time I checked, the Democrats... While they have 50 members in the U.S. Senate, one of the members has been on, like, sick leave. He had a stroke, the senator from New Mexico. And I know that the plan was to try to get him back reasonably shortly. I don't think he's back yet. But I I bring this up only because if they're not able to secure any Republican votes, you then then it's a, a real situation because if it was a 50-50 thing the vice president votes and in you know Biden's nominee would be confirmed i'm not projecting that and again i i i've said this before when republicans have made nominations to the supreme court the the role the senate has is, is advise and consent as i've always argued the elections have consequences and when donald trump was elected president that meant that Republicans were going to make appointments to the Supreme Court. And and I always felt that just simply saying, okay, we're not going to support somebody because they're nominated by a president of the other party, I always thought that that was wrong. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to try to run out the clock because there, there's eight months to the election, and we think, you know, our guy might win, and so that might change the dynamic. But in this particular case, I mean, I think you got to give some latitude to Joe Biden because, like we say, elections do have consequences. Okay, here is the story. Let me share a portion of this with you. I want to read you what's a part of what the Journal Sentinel has. Wauwatosa police on Thursday announced the arrest of two people in connection with an armed carjacking that occurred in the city earlier this month. A female victim was sitting in her car just after 8 p.m. while it was parked in her driveway. One of the subjects came up, pointed a handgun in her face, and demanded she give them her vehicle. The victim gave, got out of the car, gave them their car a Honda Odyssey. Officers saw the stolen vehicle and pursued it while responding to the crime, but both of the men abandoned the vehicle near the 4300 block of North 65th Street in Milwaukee and fled on the scene. Wauwatosa police said they executed a search warrant in Milwaukee Thursday morning, arresting one suspect. The other suspect was arrested at a separate location. Okay, so you get the idea. Lady sitting in her driveway, 8 o'clock at night, and these two people come up. One has a gun, sticks it in her face. They take the car. 
They then, you know, start driving the car around. Police see it. They try to pull them over. There is, predictably, there's the high-speed chase. The kids abandon the car. I said kids. And get away. I said kids because here's the dazzling detail. These two people who have now been charged with this crime, one is 14 years old and one is 15 years old. I do not know which one of the two, the 14 or the 15-year-old, were the ones that stuck the gun, was the one that actually stuck the gun in the lady's face. But you've got a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old who carjack a woman at gunpoint from her driveway. All right, so right now the suspects are being held in the Milwaukee County Juvenile Detention Facility. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, the, the scary thing, the way that at least the local newspaper reports it, is that the two teenagers, ages 14 and 15, who will likely soon face charges from the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, are currently in custody at the Milwaukee County Juvenile Detention Facility. Their names have not been released yet. And by the way, if they are charged as juveniles, the names will never be public. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You have a 14- and a 15-year-old who haven't just stolen a car. They have stuck a gun in a lady's face as she sits in the driveway at her house, stole her car at gunpoint. They have carjacked her, fled after the cops tried to find them. Now they are in custody. Here is my question to you. Do you treat them as juveniles? Or do you treat them as adults? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you treat them as juveniles, maybe, maybe you get some detention. Maybe the kid gets a, kids get a little bit of help, and then they are back out on the street. If you wave them into adult court and treat them as adults, now you're not going to send a 14-year-old to Wapan, but they will have felony records. Um, the public will know who they are, and there will be undoubtedly a higher degree of accountability. So juveniles or adults for carjackers, armed carjackers, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is, until juvenile penalties are greater, you stick a gun in somebody's face and take their vehicle at the age of 14 or 15, that is an adult crime and you should be treated as an adult. Now, I'm not saying you put the people, the kids in prison necessarily for 10 or 15 years, but it's an adult crime. I think you treat them as adults. 855-616-1620. But Jeff, they're only 14 and 15. Yeah, well, they're old enough to stick a gun in some lady's face. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, not that long ago, what was the date? February something or other. What happens is you have uh, two. It turns out to be a 14- and 15-year-old. They go up to a woman. She's sitting in her car in her driveway in Wauwatosa. One of them sticks a gun in her face. They take the car. They flee. The cops 
find the car. They chase them. The kids run away. They've now caught them. They're 14 and 15 years old. They didn't shoot the woman, but they stuck a gun in her face and stole the car. Now the question for the DA's office is, do you wave them into adult court? Now, this is the DA's office that goes out of its way to try to avoid holding people accountable. If you wave them into, if you treat them as a juvenile, we're never going to know the names of the kids. They will maybe, maybe, maybe get a disposition where maybe they're found delinquent and they're, I don't know, ordered for some sort of confinement, but we're never going to know. If you treat them as adults, they've got that on their permanent record. The public knows who they are, and there's definitely going to be more accountability. For me, it's an easy one. You commit a crime with a gun at the age of 14 or 15. That is an adult crime and you should be treated as an adult. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that you send them to prison for 10 or 12 or 15 years. That's a whole different question. But should you be treated as an adult? You commit an adult crime, you get treated like an adult. That's at least how I see it. Sue in West Bend. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. So I feel the same way you do. Children do not do things like that with guns. They do other silly, stupid things, but they don't pull a gun on somebody and steal their car. They need to be treated as an adult and held accountable for what they have done. Yeah. Yeah. So thank, thanks for the call. I, I don't disagree. I guess, see, and I, if this was a situation where they, they just stole the car with, with no prior record. Now, I, I think at some point in time, I, we've gotten way out of whack. In Milwaukee County, as a practical matter, you can if you're a juvenile, you can steal as many cars as you want, and you're never going to be held accountable, and you're not going to be treated as an adult. But at some point in time, Okay, if it's if it's if it's a car theft and it's two fourteen year olds and it's the first time they've done it, I, I understand you, you treat them like juvenile delinquents. But I agree with you, Sue. Once you add that element of violence or potential violence, and any time you stick a gun in somebody's face, uh, that that is the potential for really really bad violence. And I understand that the woman wasn't killed, but I don't care. Can you imagine? I, I've been arguing this for the longest time. Oftentimes, when we look at these types of situations. We always want to view it from the perspective of the bad guy, the perpetrator. Oh, well, you know, it's 15 years old. You're going to ruin his life if you treat him like that. Well, I'm, going to, I'm here to tell you, you talk to anybody who has been a victim of a violent crime or had a gun stuck in their face, that is something that is going to be traumatic. They will remember it their entire life. My, my mom, who passed away a number of years ago, she was involved in a holdup at, a, at an office that she worked at, I, I think, um, either before I was born or when I was very little. And people walked in and they stuck guns in people's faces. My mother remembered that to her dying day. 855-616-1620. Brian in Kenosha. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Brian. You there? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm pretty much in the same agreement. If you you have to be an adult to possess a handgun, and if you want to do adult stuff, you need to be treated as an adult. I uh, I definitely don't agree with you know send them away to prison for a long time, but I, I definitely think they should be held accountable for their for what they're doing. Um, it's it's. It's running rampant, and I mean, I'm not in Milwaukee. I'm down in Kenosha, but like I, I hear it every day on your radio station and everywhere else. Like, it, kids got to be accountable for something. And when you stick an, uh, a firearm in someone's face, it's beyond the point of being a child. You are you are you're an adult at that point. 
Yeah, no, th- thanks for that. I, I, I agree. To me, that, that, that is the defining level. Now, there, again, there, there's, other, there's other criteria that you could apply as, as well, but there, there's no doubt about it that that's the, the situation there. You put the gun in the face and there's no question. Jeff, please, please, please address the fact that very rarely do criminals get caught for the first or every criminal offense. It's highly unlikely, they, it's highly likely they've committed numerous offenses before, um, and now they've finally been caught. Well, that there is an element to that, but I don't know because, again, that's one of the other big problems I have with the juvenile system is that we never know. The public doesn't find out because the juvenile justice system is designed to minimize consequences for juvenile delinquents. So I can't tell you whether these 14 and 15 year olds have a prior record now it just it makes sense to me intuitively that you don't just wake up one morning and say hey today's the day i'm going to go grab the gun don't know where they got the gun from and today's the day we're going to go out to that woman who's sitting in the driveway in Wauwatosa and steal the gun at gunpoint and steal the car at gunpoint my guess is the texter is absolutely 100% correct that there are you know, there's all sorts of other stuff that's going on. There's probably lengthy criminal involvement. Don't know it, but I, I would guess that there's other stuff as well, which is all the more reason why you try them as an adults. Now, speaking of, speaking of juveniles who need to be treated as adults, here's the follow-up to the story. And, and Channel 12 has that. You will remember back in November, there was the story of the 14-year-old Waukesha boy who was accused of carjacking and sexually assaulting an 87-year-old woman outside the the library. Um, The case was originally filed in juvenile system, so in the juvenile court system, so the records were sealed. But uh, Channel 12 got a hold of the papers in this because Waukesha prosecutors have filed a motion to waive the teen into adult court. Boy is accused of approaching a woman from behind on November 30th at 1 p.m. as she dropped books into the book drop-off slot out the library. He had a knife. He held it to her throat, told her to get into the car or he would slit her throat. He's then accused of driving them both to a parking lot where he attempted to sexually assault her. The woman is in her, well, she's 87. He's 14. He's trying to rape this woman at knife point for goodness sakes um she told police the center console saved her from being raped as he couldn't get over the center console um he attempted the sexual assault she began praying out loud don't let this happen um eventually um he takes her credit card and her car and um then drives off he said you know you better not tell police because you realize i'm the devil i know where you live if you call police i'll kill all your family (laughs) i i just this kid is 14 years old and, and obviously he is very very troubled there's no question about it normal 14 year olds don't do this but this is another one of these situations and and by the way the the two kids who robbed the woman at at gunpoint um i I said i I don't know what you do with them i'm not necessarily saying that you put them in prison for you know 10 or 15 years this to me is a different situation you grab a woman you put a knife at her throat an 87 year old woman in this case you try to rape her at knife point now you treat them as an adult and if nothing else to try to protect the community for the next 10 15 years you send 
this kid off to first of all you know that they end up in secure detention with juveniles and then once they hit 18 they, they make the big time but you know you rape or attempt to rape somebody at knife point boom all bets are off back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Here's a text. Jeff, I realize that the names of juveniles are not released, but do the courts keep records of how many juveniles they process, stats on the types of crimes committed, and the dispositions and penalties? I would think the public and the press are entitled to know the state of juvenile crime and how it's being handled by the present system. Why well, take that one step farther? And, and I, I think you need to have a sea change in juvenile law. When it, look, it, it's I understand. We, we keep juvenile records quiet we, we don't release them to the public because you, you don't want to prejudice the kids you know as they move on in life okay that, that this isn't Mayberry anymore we're, we're not talking about you know Opie throwing a rock through a window what we are talking about is dangerous and violent young people who are committing progressively worse crimes I think the public has every right to know what is happening to those kids, and that's why I believe that any time it is a crime of violence, any time you have somebody who is a repeat offender, at that point in time, all bets are off. And even if you treat them in juvenile court, I think the record should be made public. I mean, if you live in a neighborhood and the punk kid down the block has stolen 15 cars and he keeps getting out on double secret probation and stealing more cars, I think you have every right to know that. If the punk kid down the block has stuck a gun in somebody's face and carjacked them, even if he's treated as a juvenile, I think the public has a right to know who that kid is to protect themselves. But that, that's not going to happen unless you have a change in law. And I keep urging my friends in the legislature to take a hard look at the debacle that the juvenile justice system is. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, to improve, or to repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. All right. Sometimes issues are tough. It's tough to know what the right thing is. Sometimes, even if you know what the right thing is, it's still, it's just tough to do it. And then there's stories like this that I want to discuss with you. The story comes from Alabama, and it involves Oakwood Adventist Academy in Huntsville, Alabama. Jeff, why are we talking about this? Well, there's this kind of larger issue there. All right, this is, it's a high school. And the, the people who attend, the kids who attend this high school are Seventh Day Adventists. And under that religion, they observe the Sabbath. So from Friday at sunset to Saturday at sunset, that is considered to be a, a day of rest. You know, not unlike, for example, you know, certain, you know, people who observe certain aspects of the Jewish religion are, are like that too. Not everybody, but some. So if you're a Seventh Day Adventist, you know, Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night, you, you it's a day of rest. That, that's it. You don't go anywhere. You don't do stuff. You don't travel. It, it's designed to, again, um, for religious purposes and things like that. Okay, so here's the deal. Last Saturday, the boys' basketball team at this, this high school has actually been having a really, really good season. And they were scheduled to play 
in the state, it's the state qualifiers, you know, the, like the regionals, and the regional game was scheduled for next Saturday. Their game was scheduled at 4.30 in the afternoon. Well, okay, this is, of course, uh, during the, the Sabbath. They're, they're not supposed to, you know, in, engage in activities. So there was another pair of games, another game involving other teams, the, the other semifinalists. They were scheduled to play at 7.30 that night, which would have been after sunset and wouldn't have created an issue. So in other words, this team was like in, in the first set of the regional games. So what happens is the athletic director at the school, first of all, calls up the athletic director of the team that they're supposed to play at 4.30 and said, hey, you know, this is the issue that we have. Would you have any problem moving our game to 7.30, so playing ours second? And the athletic director at the other school says, no, I don't have any problem with that. So then what the athletic director does is he calls up the athletic directors for the two teams that are scheduled to play at 7.30. And he says, look, here, here's here's the deal. that This is the Sabbath. Our kids, you know, it, it's it's... They're supposed to rest. They've got this religious training, and, and they're, they can't play a game at 4.30 in the afternoon. Would you guys be willing to this, the switch time slots? So your teams play at 4.30. Ours will then play at 7.30, and, and then we go on from there. And the athletic directors for the two other teams, they say, no, no, no problem at all. That doesn't make any difference to us whether we play at 4.30 or, or 7.30. Okay, so everybody is on board. At that point in time, they contact the Alabama High School Athletic Association, all right? And they say, look, here, here's the deal. Everybody's agreed. The teams that are playing at 730 have agreed to swap times. The um, team that we're playing against doesn't care whether they play at 430 or 730. Um, we, we, we need this accommodation, we're not asking for a change of the stadium. We're not asking to change the date. We're not asking for a change of venue. All we want you to do is agree to a two- or three-hour time swap. The Alabama High School Athletic Association responded by saying no, to which the athletic director says, wait, don't, don't you understand our, our, our kids can't participate on the Sabbath? Um, this won't be an issue. Everybody else is on board with flipping these, and the athletic association gets back and says, um, "No, no, you you cannot do this. The game is scheduled for 4:30. You must play at 4:30." At that point in time, the athletic director says, "Well, okay, if that's the deal, we're, we're going to forfeit the game because our, our faith is more important than these these rules." And so we're going to forfeit, and that's what they did. They forfeited the game, but they did not go quietly because what they then did is they, they went public with this. They said, we, they, we've been told no, and nobody's given us any explanation, so they went to the, the governor. The governor has now gotten involved, and she is unhappy with the Alabama High School Athletic Association saying, why did you not, why were you not able under these circumstances to accommodate this team who clearly has put forth a, a legitimate reason and all they want to do is they want to play a couple hours later. They just want to swap times and everybody else is agreeable to it. 
Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I said when I was introducing this topic, sometimes it's hard to know the right thing to do. And sometimes, even if you know the right thing to do, it's hard to do it. In this situation, am I missing something? This strikes me as an absolute, complete, and total no-brainer. Everybody is on board with this. There's no competitive advantage to anybody from playing a game at 4.30 versus 7.30. But even if there were, everybody involved recognized the religious issue that was here and was willing to make an accommodation. I I don't know what the damages are here, but I will tell you, at least in my opinion, the people on this high school athletic association that refused to allow the teams to swap under these circumstances, heads should roll. And I don't know if they're volunteer or paid, but anybody who had anything to do with denying this request shouldn't be allowed to, well, make any decisions, certainly involving high school athletics for the rest of their life. 855-616-1620. I guess I just find this absolutely outrageous that you would not make what would be a small accommodation for a clearly, deeply held religious belief. 855-616-1620. I think what they did was absolutely appalling. And to deny these kids the ability then to participate and maybe make the state high school basketball championship because, well, no, we said you play at 430 and you have to play at 430. I think whoever made this decision should be absolutely embarrassed and ashamed. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Now, I, I guess, see, I understand that in this situation, that there may be times when you can't accommodate a school. And in this particular case, the, the, the school, all the kids are Seventh-day Adventists, so they, they can't do stuff on the Sabbath. So if you had a situation, for example, where all the regional basketball tournaments were scheduled, the semifinals were scheduled for Friday night, for example, and then the whoever wins is going to go ahead and play on Sunday. And the kids say, well, we, we can't play on Friday night. We want you to kick it back to Saturday. Well, I could understand where you would say no because, look, we've got this schedule, and it's Friday and it's Sunday. And if you play on, on Saturday and you lose that might you know the other the teams that played on friday they've got they've had more rest i see i understand that there are situations where you might say we can't accommodate people but that's in this particular case the only thing stopping the kids from playing was the fact that they were scheduled at 4 30 and they asked to be switched to 7.30, and all the other teams involved, all the other three teams, the two teams that are playing at 7.30 and the team that was playing against them at 4.30, all of them said, of course, it doesn't make any difference to us whether we play at 4.30 or at 7.30, but yet without any explanation at all. And from what I understand, the governor is extremely upset, and the Alabama High School Athletic Association is still ducking it. Now, look, the WIAA has done some really dumb things over the years. I'm not sure that they've ever done something this dumb. Jeff, I'm not taking a side, but at what point do we have to stick to the rules and schedules? Could relatives have been coming from out of town? Others rearranged their work schedules because of the posted tournament schedules. Okay. It's, I guess I, I look at this and I say, okay, if that was the case, why why were the other schools agreeing to switch? This isn't even like a situation where 
okay, you've, you've got the teams that are scheduled to play at 7.30 who were refusing. Okay, because may, maybe they're concerned about it. Maybe it's, well, no, we've got people that are coming in from out of town, and this is a really big deal, and they plan that it's going to be 7.30. If we move it to 4.30, people aren't going to see it. But but they're not making that argument. Nobody has a problem with this except the bozos at the uh, Alabama Athletic Association. Jeff, I think the request seems harmless, but it opens the door to all teams requesting changing what they want and require. Okay, people can make requests all they want. I don't argue that athletic associations or or any schedule has the right to to say no to to things. You've you've got the right to do it. But in this particular case, understanding that there is a legitimate religious issue that, that is here because of the scheduling, and then also understanding that it doesn't make any difference to anybody. There was nothing magic about 4.30 as opposed to 7.30. To just simply say no, I think, is an insult to the kids, and it's a reflection, I, I think, again, of, I don't know if it's anti-religious, but you know, I, I wonder about the legalities, because you know, typically you have a right, you know, there is an obligation, I don't know about how it would apply to public high school sports, but you have an obligation to make reasonable efforts to accommodate people's religious beliefs. Jeff, um, it's, this is, I think it's obviously a decision that somebody made um, who um, has a Napoleon complex. Well, I think there's an element of that, too. Jeff, I'm a high school basketball coach and athletic director for a number of years, and this is absurd. There's absolutely not, no reason not to switch and to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the point. And I guess, to me, there's, like I say, some things, some things it's hard to figure out what the right thing to do is. And even if you figure out the right thing to do, sometimes it's hard to do it. This, this is easy. The right thing to do under this circumstance was clearly to accommodate the kids, to give them a chance to participate in the regional basketball uh, semifinals. And uh, that was the right thing to do. And in this particular case, it would have been so easy, but you have some of these pinheads on a power trip who just decided, no, we're not going to do it. We don't care. And now at least the governor is demanding answers. And so far, the response is, um, you want to know who made this decision? Well, well, bottom line is, if you don't want to get called out by your superiors, if you don't want to be talked about publicly, then don't do really, really, really dumb stuff. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average up almost 700 points, and that was after a pretty good day yesterday. Now it's up over 700 points. It's I, I always... It's days like this and yesterday that always remind you that how difficult it is to kind of quote unquote time the market. Now I understand the market's been really having problems over the course of the last month or two with the inflation fears and now you've got, you know, all the global unrest. But the problem is always for people who decide that's it, I can't stand it anymore. I want to get out of the stock market. The problem is you never want to get out at the at the low point. And for example, today is Friday, if people would have sold on on Monday or Tuesday or, or Wednesday, you would have missed what happened yesterday. You would have missed what happened today. Now, who knows what's going to happen on Monday? But it's one of these reasons why that the people who know a lot about finances always say, rather than just responding to an individual day that's driven by whatever the events are, what you need to do is you need to develop some sort of long-term strategy and an asset allocation that you're comfortable with. Because like I say, if you if you would have 
sold on on Wednesday, just bailed out of the stock market, you would have sold at considerably lower prices than you'd be able to get if you sold today. So it's just, and, and you never know what's going to happen Monday or Tuesday or, or Wednesday, but it's, you know, when, when people respond to panic, generally speaking, those tend to be bad decisions. Speaking of bad decisions, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about former President Trump, but I, I have to got to tell you this, and I understand whenever we talk about Trump, it always I, I get all these texts about why are you bashing Trump or Trump is this is awful or whatever. But the further he gets from office, the more b- bizarre th- this whole thing gets. Whether it was, you know, the, the still the the denying that he lost the election in twenty twenty two to the. Uh, looking the other way while you had all the stuff that was going on at the Capitol on January 6th, whether you want to call it a riot or an insurrection or, or whatever, but the fact that, you know, he just kind of stood by and watched that happen. And, and it's been one thing after another like that. And over the last couple of days, you have this as well. If there is anything that I think everybody agrees with, conservatives, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, pretty much almost everybody in the world, that is that Vladimir Putin is a thug and a gangster. That that is, this aggression in the Ukraine is a threat to world peace, and it needs to be halted. And yet you've got President Trump you know, talking on Wednesday night at a fundraiser about how he considers Putin to be pretty smart. Um, you know, he's taken over a country for $2 worth of sanctions, a great piece of land, a lot of people. He's just walking in, you know, to which you want to say, what? You know, even if you think that. Even if you think that, why in the world would you praise Vladimir Putin? What do you possibly gain by doing that? And yet that's precisely what he did. I don't think I'm really taking his remarks out of, out of, out of context. This is a situation where you have somebody, maybe you want to say, well, he wouldn't have done this if I had still been president. I, I don't know that that's the case. You know, we'll, we'll never know that type of stuff. But this idea that you're not leading the, the pack in condemning the aggression of Vladimir Putin makes, again, me just wonder what what goes on. And, and since he's left office, has he completely and totally lost touch with reality? That's just me. Back with more in a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, you know, President Biden announcing his nomination for the Supreme Court, it, it, it's no surprise. He, he said he was going to find a, a black woman. She's clearly experienced. She is very she's I think if you look at her record you're going to find a very very liberal jurist but that is what to expect from you know somebody that Biden would appoint just like you would expect a Republican president to appoint a conservative jurist I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next month or two um, as the confirmation process proceeds keep in mind at least as of the last time I checked the Democrats while they have 50 members in the U.S. Senate, one of the members has been on, like, sick leave. He had a stroke, the senator from New Mexico. And I know that the plan was to try to get him back reasonably shortly. I don't think he's back yet. But I I bring this up only because if they're not able to secure any Republican votes, 
you then then it's a, a real situation because if it was a 50-50 thing, the vice president votes and, and you know Biden's nominee would be confirmed. I'm not projecting that. And again, I, I, I've said this before when Republicans have made nominations to the Supreme Court. The, the role the Senate has is, is advise and consent. As I've always argued, the elections have consequences. And when Donald Trump was elected president, that meant that Republicans were going to make appointments to the Supreme Court. And and I always felt that just simply saying, okay, we're not going to support somebody because they're nominated by a president of the other party, I always thought that that was wrong. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to try to run out the clock because there, there's eight months to the election and we think, you know, our guy might win, and so that might change the dynamic. But in this particular case, I mean, I think you got to give some latitude to Joe Biden because, like we say, elections do have consequences. Okay, here is the story. Let me share a portion of this with you. I want to read you what's a part of what the Journal Sentinel has. Wauwatosa police on Thursday announced the arrest of two people in connection with an armed carjacking that occurred in the city earlier this month. A female victim was sitting in her car just after 8 p.m. while it was parked in her driveway. One of the subjects came up, pointed a handgun in her face, and demanded she give them her vehicle. The victim gave, got out of the car, gave them their car a Honda Odyssey. Officers saw the stolen vehicle and pursued it while responding to the crime, but both of the men abandoned the vehicle near the 4300 block of North 65th Street in Milwaukee and fled on the scene. Wauwatosa police said they executed a search warrant in Milwaukee Thursday morning, arresting one suspect. The other suspect was arrested at a separate location. Okay, so you get the idea. Lady sitting in her driveway, 8 o'clock at night, and these two people come up. One has a gun, sticks it in her face. They take the car. They then, you know, start driving the car around. Police see it. They try to pull them over. There is, predictably, there's the high-speed chase. The kids abandon the car. I said kids. And get away. I said kids because here's the dazzling detail. These two people who have now been charged with this crime, one is 14 years old and one is 15 years old. I do not know which one of the two, the 14 or the 15-year-old, were the ones that stuck the gun, was the one that actually stuck the gun in the lady's face. But you've got a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old who carjack a woman at gunpoint from her driveway. All right, so right now the suspects are being held in the Milwaukee County Juvenile Detention Facility. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, the, the scary thing, the way that at least the local newspaper reports it, is that the two teenagers, ages 14 and 15, who will likely soon face charges from the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, are currently in custody at the Milwaukee County Juvenile Detention Facility. Their names have not been released yet. And by the way, if they are charged as juveniles, the names will never be public. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You have a 14- and a 15-year-old who haven't just stolen a car. They have stuck a gun in a lady's face as she sits in the driveway at her house. 
stole her car at gunpoint. They have carjacked her, fled after the cops tried to find them. Now they are in custody. Here is my question to you. Do you treat them as juveniles or do you treat them as adults? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you treat them as juveniles, maybe... Maybe you get some detention. Maybe the kid gets a, kids get a little bit of help, and then they are back out on the street. If you wave them into adult court and treat them as adults, now you're not going to send a 14-year-old to Wapan, but they will have felony records. Um, the public will know who they are, and there will be undoubtedly a higher degree of accountability. So juveniles or adults for carjackers, armed carjackers, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is, until juvenile penalties are greater, you stick a gun in somebody's face and take their vehicle at the age of 14 or 15, that is an adult crime and you should be treated as an adult. Now, I'm not saying you put the people, the kids in prison necessarily for 10 or 15 years, but it's an adult crime. I think you treat them as adults. 855-616-1620. But Jeff, they're only 14 and 15. Yeah, well, they're old enough to stick a gun in some lady's face. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, not that long ago, what was the date? February something or other. What happens is you have uh, two. It turns out to be a 14- and 15-year-old. They go up to a woman. She's sitting in her car in her driveway in Wauwatosa. One of them sticks a gun in her face. They take the car. They flee. The cops find the car. They chase them. The kids run away. They've now caught them. They're 14 and 15 years old. They didn't shoot the woman, but they stuck a gun in her face and stole the car. Now the question for the DA's office is, do you wave them into adult court? Now this is the DA's office that goes out of its way to try to avoid holding people accountable. If you wave them into, if you treat them as a juvenile, we're never going to know the names of the kids. They will maybe, maybe, maybe get a disposition where maybe they're found delinquent and they're, I don't know, ordered for some sort of confinement, but we're never going to know. If you treat them as adults, they've got that on their permanent record. The public knows who they are, and there's definitely going to be more accountability. For me, it's an easy one. You commit a crime with a gun at the age of 14 or 15. That is an adult crime and you should be treated as an adult. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that you send them to prison for 10 or 12 or 15 years. That's a whole different question. But should you be treated as an adult? You commit an adult crime, you get treated like an adult. That's at least how I see it. Sue in West Bend. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. So I feel the same way you do. Children do not do things like that with guns. They do other silly, stupid things, but they don't pull a gun on somebody and steal their car. They need to be treated as an adult and held accountable for what they have done. Yeah. Yeah. Sue, thanks for the call. I I don't disagree. I guess, see, and 
if this was a situation where they, they just stole the car with, with no prior record. Now, I, I think at some point in time, I, we've gotten way out of whack. In Milwaukee County, as a practical matter, you can if you're a juvenile, you can steal as many cars as you want, and you're never going to be held accountable, and you're not going to be treated as an adult. But at some point in time, okay, if it's, if it's, if it's a car theft and it's two 14-year-olds and it's the first time they've done it, I, I understand you, you treat them like juvenile delinquents. But I agree with you, Sue. Once you add that element of violence or potential violence, and any time you stick a gun in somebody's face, uh, that that is the potential for really, really bad violence. And I understand that the woman wasn't killed, but I don't care. Can you imagine? I, I've been arguing this for the longest time. Oftentimes, when we look at these types of situations, we always want to view it from the perspective of the bad guy, the perpetrator. Oh, well, you know, it's 15 years old. You're going to ruin his life if you treat him like that. Well, I'm going to. I'm here to tell you. You talk to anybody who has been a victim of a violent crime or had a gun stuck in their face, that is something that is going to be traumatic. They will remember it their entire life. My, my mom, who passed away a number of years ago, she was involved in a holdup at, a, at an office that she worked at, I, I think, um, either before I was born or when I was very little. And people walked in and they stuck guns in people's faces. My mother remembered that to her dying day. 855-616-1620. Brian in Kenosha. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Brian. You there? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm pretty much in the same agreement. If you you have to be an adult to possess a handgun, and if you want to do adult stuff, you need to be treated as an adult. I uh, I definitely don't agree with you know send them away to prison for a long time, but I, I definitely think they should be held accountable for their for what they're doing. Um, it's it's. It's running rampant, and I mean, I'm not in Milwaukee. I'm down in Kenosha, but like, I, I hear it every day on your radio station and everywhere else. Like, it, kids got to be accountable for something. And when you stick an, uh, a firearm in someone's face, it's beyond the point of being a child. You are, you are, you're an adult at that point. Yeah, no, th- thanks for that. I, I, I agree. To me, that 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 is the defining level. Now, there, again, there, there's other there's other criteria that you could apply as, as well, but there, there's no doubt about it that that's the the situation there. You put the gun in the face, and there's no question. Jeff, please, please, please address the fact that very rarely do criminals get caught for the first or every criminal offense. It's highly unlikely. They, it's highly likely they've committed numerous offenses before, um, and now they finally been caught well that there is an element to that but i don't know because again that's one of the other big problems i have with the juvenile system is that we never know the public doesn't find out because the juvenile justice system is designed to minimize consequences for juvenile delinquents so i can't tell you whether these 14 and 15 year olds have a prior record now it just it makes sense to me intuitively that you don't just wake up one morning and say hey today's the day i'm going to go grab the gun don't know where they got the gun from and today's the day we're going to go out to that woman who's sitting in the driveway in Wauwatosa and steal the gun at gunpoint and steal the car at gunpoint my guess is the texter is absolutely 100% correct that there are you know, there's all sorts of other stuff that's going on. There's probably lengthy criminal involvement. Don't know it, but I, I would guess that there's other stuff as well, which is all the more reason why you try them as an adult. Now, speaking of speaking of juveniles who need to be treated as adults, here's the follow-up to the story. And, and Channel 12 has that. You will remember back in November, 
there was the story of the 14-year-old Waukesha boy who was accused of carjacking and sexually assaulting an 87-year-old woman outside the, the library. Um, the case was originally filed in juvenile system, so the, in the juvenile court system, so the records were sealed. But uh, Channel 12 got a hold of the papers in this because Waukesha prosecutors have filed a motion to waive the teen into adult court. Boy is accused of approaching a woman from behind on November 30th at 1 p.m. as she dropped books into the book drop-off slot out the library. He had a knife. He held it to her throat, told her to get into the car or he would slit her throat. He's then accused of driving them both to a parking lot where he attempted to sexually assault her. The woman is in her, well, she's 87. He's 14. He's trying to rape this woman at knife point. For goodness sakes. Um, she told police the center console saved her from being raped as he couldn't get over the center console. Um, he attempted the sexual assault. She began praying out loud, don't let this happen. Um, eventually, um, he takes her credit card and her car and um, then drives off. He said, you know, you better not tell police because you realize I'm the devil. I know where you live. If you call police, I'll kill all your family. <laughs> I I just, this kid is 14 years old, and, and obviously he is very, very troubled. There's no question about it. Normal 14-year-olds don't do this, but this is another one of these situations. And, and by the way, the, the two kids who robbed the woman at, at gunpoint, um, I, I said, I, I don't know what you do with them. I'm not necessarily saying that you put them in prison for you know 10 or 15 years. This, to me, is a different situation. You grab a woman, you put a knife at her throat, an 87-year-old woman in this case. You try to rape her at knife point. Now, you treat them as an adult, and if nothing else, to try to protect the community for the next 10, 15 years, you send this kid off to, first of all, you know, that they end up in secure detention with juveniles, and then once they hit 18, they, they make the big time. But, you know, you rape or attempt to rape somebody at knife point, boom, all bets are off. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, I realize that the names of juveniles are not released, but do the courts keep records of how many juveniles they process, stats on the types of crimes committed, and the dispositions and penalties? I would think the public and the press are entitled to know the state of juvenile crime and how it's being handled by the present system. Why well, take that one step farther? And, and I, I think you need to have a sea change in juvenile law. When it, look, it, it's I understand. We, we keep juvenile records quiet we, we don't release them to the public because you, you don't want to prejudice the kids you know as they move on in life okay Th- that this isn't Mayberry anymore we're, we're not talking about you know Opie throwing a rock through a window what we are talking about is dangerous and violent young people who are committing progressively worse crimes I think the public has every right to know what is happening to those kids, and that's why I believe that any time it is a crime of violence, any time you have somebody who is a repeat offender, at that point in time, all bets are off. And even if you treat them in juvenile court, I think the record should be made public. I mean, if you live in a neighborhood and the punk kid down the block has stolen 15 cars and he keeps getting out on double secret probation and stealing more cars, I think you have every right to know that. If 
the punk kid down the block has stuck a gun in somebody's face and carjacked them, even if he's treated as a juvenile, I think the public has a right to know who that kid is to protect themselves. But that, that's not going to happen unless you have a change in law. And I keep urging my friends in the legislature to take a hard look at the debacle that the juvenile justice system is. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, to improve, or to repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. All right. Sometimes... Issues are tough. It's tough to know what the right thing is. Sometimes, even if you know what the right thing is, it's still, it's just tough to do it. And then there's stories like this that I want to discuss with you. The story comes from Alabama, and it involves Oakwood Adventist Academy in Huntsville, Alabama. Jeff, why are we talking about this? Well, there's this kind of larger issue there. All right, this is it's a high school and the the people who attend the kids who attend this high school are seventh day adventists and under that religion they observe the sabbath so from friday at sunset to saturday at sunset that is considered to be a a day of rest you know not unlike for example you know certain you know people who observe certain aspects of the jewish religion are are like that too not everybody but some so if you're a seventh day adventist you know, Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night, you, you it's a day of rest. That, that's it. You don't go anywhere. You don't do stuff. You don't travel. It, it's designed to, again, um, for religious purposes and things like that. Okay, so here's the deal. Last Saturday, the boys' basketball team at this, this high school has actually been having a really, really good season. And they were scheduled to play in the state it's the state qualifiers you know like the regionals and the regional game was scheduled for next saturday their game was scheduled at 4 30 in the afternoon well okay this is of course uh, during the, the sabbath they're they're not supposed to you know in, engage in activities so there was another pair of games, another game involving other teams, the, the other semifinalists, they were scheduled to play at 7.30 that night, which would have been after sunset and wouldn't have created an issue. So in other words, this team was like in, in the first set of the regional games. So what happens is the athletic director at the school, first of all, calls up the athletic director of the team that they're supposed to play at 4.30 and said, hey, you know, this is the issue that we have. Would you have any problem moving our game to 7.30, so playing ours second? And the athletic director at the other school says, no, I don't have any problem with that. So then what the athletic director does is he calls up the athletic directors for the two teams that are scheduled to play at 7.30. And he says, look, here, here's here's the deal. that This is the Sabbath. Our kids, you know, it, it's it's... They're supposed to rest. They've got this religious training, and they're, they can't play a game at 4.30 in the afternoon. 
would you guys be willing to dis- the switch time slots? So your teams play at 4.30, ours will then play at 7.30, and, and then we go on from there. And the athletic directors for the two other teams, they say, no, no, no problem at all. That doesn't make any difference to us whether we play at 4.30 or, or 7.30. Okay, so everybody is on board. At that point in time, they contact the Alabama High School Athletic Association. All right, and they say, "Look, here, here's the deal. Everybody's agreed. The teams that are playing at 7:30 have agreed to swap times. The um, team that we're playing against doesn't care whether they play at 4:30 or 7:30. Um, we, we we need this accommodation. We're not asking for a change of the stadium. We're not asking to change the date. We're not asking for a change of venue. All we want you to do is, is agree to a two or three hour time swap." The Alabama High School Athletic Association responded by saying no, <laughs> to which the athletic director says, wait, don't, don't you understand our, our, our kids can't participate on the Sabbath. Um, this won't be an issue. Everybody else is on board with flipping these. And the athletic association gets back and says, um, no, no, you, you cannot do this. The game is scheduled for 4.30. You must play at 4.30. At that point in time, the athletic director says, well, okay, if that's the deal, we're going to forfeit the game because our faith is more important than these rules. And so we're going to forfeit. And that's what they did. They forfeited the game. But they did not go quietly because what they then did is they went public with this. They said, we've been told no, and nobody's given us any explanation. So they went to the governor. The governor has now gotten involved, and she is unhappy with the Alabama High School Athletic Association saying, why did you not, why were you not able under these circumstances to accommodate this team who clearly has put forth a, a legitimate reason and all they want to do is they want to play a couple hours later. They just want to swap times and everybody else is agreeable to it. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I said when I was introducing this topic, sometimes it's hard to know the right thing to do. And sometimes, even if you know the right thing to do, it's hard to do it. In this situation, am I missing something? This strikes me as an absolute, complete, and total no-brainer. Everybody is on board with this. There's no competitive advantage to anybody from playing a game at 4.30 versus 7.30. But even if there were, everybody involved recognized the religious issue that was here and was willing to make an accommodation. I, I don't know what the damages are here, but I will tell you, at least in my opinion, the people on this high school athletic association that refused to allow the teams to swap under these circumstances, heads should roll. And I don't know if they're volunteer or paid, but anybody who had anything to do with denying this request shouldn't be allowed to, well, make any decisions, certainly involving high school athletics for the rest of their life. 855-616-1620. I guess I just find this absolutely outrageous that you would not make what would be a small accommodation for a clearly, deeply held religious belief. 855-616-1620. I think what they did was absolutely appalling. And to deny these kids the ability then to participate and maybe make the state high school basketball championship 
because, well, no, we said you play at 4.30 and you have to play at 4.30. I think whoever made this decision should be absolutely embarrassed and ashamed. 855-616-1620, what do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Now, I, I guess, see, I understand that in this situation, that there may be times when you can't accommodate a school. And in this particular case, the, the, the school, all the kids are Seventh-day Adventists, so they, they can't do stuff on the Sabbath. So if you had a situation, for example, where all the regional basketball tournaments were scheduled, the semifinals were scheduled for Friday night, for example, and then the whoever wins is going to go ahead and play on Sunday. And the kids say, well, we, we can't play on Friday night. We want you to kick it back to Saturday. Well, I could understand where you would say no because, look, we've got this schedule, and it's Friday and it's Sunday. And if you play on, on Saturday and you lose, that might, you know, the other the teams that have played on Friday, they've got, they've had more rest. I See, I understand that there are situations where you might say we can't accommodate people, but that's, in this particular case, the only thing stopping the kids from playing was the fact that they were scheduled at 4.30 and they asked to be switched to 7.30 and all the other teams involved, all the other three teams, the two teams that are playing at 7.30 and the team that was playing against them at 4.30, all of them said, of course, it doesn't make any difference to us whether we play at 4.30 or at 7.30, but yet without any explanation at all. And from what I understand, the governor is extremely upset and the Alabama High School Athletic Association is still ducking it. Now, look, the WIAA has done some really dumb things over the years. I'm not sure that they've ever done something this dumb. Jeff, I'm not taking a side, but at what point do we have to stick to the rules and schedules? Could relatives have been coming from out of town? Others rearranged their work schedules because of the posted tournament schedules. Okay. It's, I guess I, I look at this and I say, okay, if that was the case, why why were the other schools agreeing to switch? This isn't even like a situation where, okay, you've, you've got the teams that are scheduled to play at 730 who were refusing. Okay, because maybe they're concerned about it. Maybe it's, well, no, we've got people that are coming in from out of town, and this is a really big deal, and they plan that it's going to be 730. If we move it to 430, people aren't going to see it. But but they're not making that argument. Nobody has a problem with this except the bozos at the uh, Alabama Athletic Association. Jeff, I think the request seems harmless, but it opens the door to all teams requesting changing what they want and require. Okay, people can make requests all they want. I don't argue that athletic associations or, or any schedule has the right to, to say no to, to things. You, you've, you've got the right to do it. But in this particular case, understanding that there is a legitimate religious issue that, that is here because of the scheduling, and then also understanding that it doesn't make any difference to anybody. There was nothing magic about 4.30 as opposed to 7.30. To just simply say no, I think, is an insult to the kids, and it's a reflection, I, I think, again, of, I don't know if it's anti-religious, but you know, I, I wonder about the legalities because, you know, typically you have a right, you know, there is an obligation, I don't know about how it would apply to public high school sports, but you have an obligation to make reasonable efforts to accommodate people's religious 
beliefs. Jeff, um, it's, this is, I think it's obviously a decision that somebody made um, who um, has a Napoleon complex. Well, I think there's an element of that, too. Jeff, I'm a high school basketball coach and athletic director for a number of years, and this is absurd. There's absolutely not, no reason not to switch and to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the point. And I guess, to me, there's, like I say, some things, some things it's hard to figure out what the right thing to do is. And even if you figure out the right thing to do, sometimes it's hard to do it. This, this is easy. The right thing to do under this circumstance was clearly to accommodate the kids, to give them a chance to participate in the regional basketball uh, semifinals. And uh, it, that was the right thing to do. And in this particular case, it would have been so easy. But you have some of these pinheads on a power trip who just decided, no, we're not going to do it. We don't care. And now... At least the governor is demanding answers, and so far the response is, um, you want to know who made this decision? Well, Well, bottom line is, if you don't want to get called out by your superiors, if you don't want to be talked about publicly, then don't do really, really, really dumb stuff. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average up almost 700 points, and that was after a pretty good day yesterday. Now it's up over 700 points. It's I always it's days like this and yesterday that always remind you that how difficult it is to kind of quote unquote time the market. Now I understand the market's been really having problems over the course of the last month or two with the inflation fears, and now you've got you know all the global unrest. But the problem is always. For people who decide, that's it, I can't stand it anymore, I want to get out of the stock market, the problem is you, you never want to get out at the, at the low point. And for example, today is Friday, if people would have sold on on Monday or Tuesday or, or Wednesday, you would have missed what happened yesterday, you would have missed what happened today. Now, who knows what's going to happen on Monday, but it's one of these reasons why that the people who know a lot about finances always say, rather than just responding to an individual day that's driven by whatever the events are, what you need to do is you need to develop some sort of long-term strategy and asset allocation that you're comfortable with, because like I say, if you if you would have sold on on Wednesday, just bailed out of the stock market, you would have sold at considerably lower prices than you'd be able to get if you sold today. So it's just, and, and you never know what's going to happen on Monday or Tuesday or, or Wednesday, but it's, you know, when, when people respond to panic, generally speaking, those tend to be bad decisions. Speaking of bad decisions, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about former President Trump, but I, I have to i got to tell you this, and I understand whenever we talk about Trump, it always I, I get all these texts about, why are you bashing Trump, or Trump is this, this awful, or whatever. But the further he gets from office, the more b- bizarre th- this whole thing gets, whether it was you know, the, the still the, the denying that he lost the election in 2022 to the uh, looking the other way while you had all the stuff that was going on at the Capitol on January 6th, whether you want to call it a riot or an insurrection or, or whatever, the, the fact that, you know, he just kind of stood by and watched that happen. And, and it's been one thing after another like that. And over the last couple of days, you have this as well. If there is anything that I think everybody agrees with, conservatives, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, pretty much almost everybody in the world, that is that Vladimir Putin is a thug and a gangster. That 
That is, this aggression in the Ukraine is a threat to world peace, and it needs to be halted. And yet you've got President Trump, you know, talking on Wednesday night at a fundraiser about how he considers Putin to be pretty smart. Um, you know, he's taken over a country for $2 worth of sanctions, a great piece of land, a lot of people. He's just walking in, you know, to which you want to say, what? You know, even if you think that, even if you think that, why in the world would you praise Vladimir Putin? What do you possibly gain by doing that? And, and yet that's precisely what he did. I don't think I'm really taking his remarks out of out of out of context this is a situation where you, you have somebody maybe you want to say well he wouldn't have done this if I had still been president I, I don't know that that's the case you know we'll, we'll never know that type of stuff but this idea that you're not leading the the pack in condemning the aggression of Vladimir Putin makes again me just wonder what what goes on and and since he's left office has he completely and totally lost touch with reality that's just me. Back with more in a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I'm intrigued by, by, by popular culture and changes in things. And, and I think one of the real fascinating things is going to be, as we come out of the pandemic, how has that changed American life, and and is, are they temporary changes? Are they big changes? Yesterday during the program, during this hour of the program, as a matter of fact, we we talked about there was a story about how many people, the Zoomers, Generation Z, which are people roughly twenty seven and under, um, have, have never worked in an office in, in many cases. And the truth is, many of them might not. And we had this discussion about how businesses are trying to get people to come back after years of two years of working remotely and a lot of people are saying no we we, we like working at home and you know we, we don't care if you've got the great cafeteria we we're not we're not going to do it and the of course given the fact that there's a tight labor market a lot of people can say okay well I, I do this stuff I've been doing it for home if you don't want to let me do it from home that's okay I'll go somewhere else and they will so this this is the the battle I mean are we ever going to go back to offices like we were and my answer is probably not I, I just I don't see that happening I think there's still always going to be like downtown offices but I, I think the dynamic is going to change, and maybe instead of having to be there five days a week, maybe it's going to be, well, you have to come in once every week just to kind of check in, or the team meetings or stuff, or maybe one or two weeks or whatever. And what this means for downtown office space, what this means for the businesses that exist in a downtown area, and I'm not just talking about Milwaukee, I'm talking about in general, what, what does that mean? I think it's a game changer. What about the um, the restaurants? that exist primarily to serve like the lunch crowds. Well, okay, if there's not any big lunch crowds anymore, you know, what what do you do? What about the convenience stores and stuff that exist to again service the office workers? Now, one of the things that's out there that makes it a little bit different is at least in some urban areas, you have more people that are moving into those urban areas. So even if they're working remotely, they're still they still need to go out to lunch. And if you live downtown, you're still looking for a place again, maybe it's not over your lunch hour at the office, 
it's you're coming out of your apartment and you're going to find a place. So th- there'll be some of that balancing. But it, it's one of these changes, and I don't think any of us know for sure what the impact of that is going to be. One of the other things that, of course, has been changing is the way we buy automobiles. And, you know, we've talked about this from a couple different perspectives in the past, namely the fact that uh, given given that there is an incredible shortage of automobiles now, what happens is if, if you want to you want to buy a new car, you know, be prepared to pay more than the manufacturer's suggested retail price. And I think on one or two occasions we talked about variations of this story. You've got more and more dealers who are charging above sticker price because there is the demand. If instead of 30 cars on their lot, they've got four, and they've got five people that are, are willing, they each want that new car. Well, it's just kind of a supply and a demand thing. And then you've got some of the manufacturers who think that that's bad for business, so they're threatening to crack down once this is all over. I don't know how that's all going to play out. As I've said when we've talked about it, my particular take is it's it's kind of like a, I think it's a free market thing. I really do. It's just sort of like if you put your house on the market and you list it for $400,000 and the housing market is tight and you're in a desirable area and you've got three people that come in and one says okay well I'll give you 410,000 and the next person says well I'll give you 415 I, I don't think that you should be told you can't do that to me again it's it's the the free market that's out there but one of the other changes that's going on with how we buy cars is because again of the shortage of cars because of the supply chain problems apparently looking at this story in the New York Times right now they estimate that half of all new Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, and other major brands arriving on dealer lots in the next 90 days are already sold. Half of the cars that are going to be coming in over the next three months are already sold. In other words, they have been ordered. People have gone into the dealers, they've ordered a specific car, and they've presumably put the down payment down or however that works, and now they're waiting for delivery. For luxury cars, apparently the market is even tighter. What they say is nearly three out of four cars arriving at dealers in the next three months are pre-sold meaning a customer has paid a deposit and is waiting to buy the car as soon as it arrives. Now, historically, when, when, when people have purchased cars, okay, you, you want a new car. So how do you typically do it? Well, you go to, let's say you want a Toyota. So there's how many Toyota dealerships in the Wisconsin, you know, in southeastern Wisconsin or the Milwaukee area or whatever. So what you typically do is, assuming for the sake of argument you don't have a relationship with one particular place, what do you do? You go to visit the different car lots. And you say, I'm kind of looking for a Toyota Camry. This is kind of what I'd like, and these are the features I like on it. And they look at their inventory, and they say, okay, this is what we have. And then you look at the car, and maybe you take the test drive on it, and then, then you're off to the races. right? That's how you end up doing it. That dynamic has now changed. What more and more people are doing is they're, they're going in, and they're saying, okay, forget the test drives. I, I, you know, maybe you get a chance to test drive. Maybe they've got a Camry that's on the lot, but it's not the Camry you're going to be driving away with. You sit down, you negotiate, you say, okay, this is exactly what I want. These are the features that I want on it. Here's the deposit. Boom. And, of course, in some respects, this makes it easier for the dealer because one of the costs that a dealer has is they, they've got the cost of inventory. They've got the co- It costs them a bunch of money to keep 50 cars on a lot. If you've only got 
you know, 10 or 15 cars, and those are essentially like your demo cars that people are going to drive to see if they like the way the Camry feels, in my example. All right, your, your cost of carrying those cars is a lot less. If you order a car, you as the consumer know that you're getting everything that you want. You can you can say okay this is these are the features that I want on it and I want the heated seats and I want the heated steering wheel and I want this type of thing and those type of tires as opposed to being in a situation of okay these are the cars we have on the lot none of them have exactly what you want in it but take it or leave it our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line is this going to be the wave of the future as we move forward are more and more people going to buy cars in this fashion in other words pre-ordering them waiting 60 90 hopefully it won't be you know hopefully it's not going to be 90 days but are more and more people going to do this is this kind of like is it going to be a sea change in the way we buy cars or a year and a half from now as the supply chain problems have, have ended are we going to be go back to seeing dealers lots completely and totally full i think you're going to see more cars on the lot but I think there's going to be a lot of people that like this way of buying cars. I think I would. 855-616-1620. What's going to happen? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just found this interesting. The... the the New York Times has a story that is estimating that half of all new Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, and other major brands arriving on dealer lots in the next three months are already sold. Half of them. So they've been pre-ordered. Um, the market is even tighter for luxury cars. About 75% of the cars arriving on dealers' lots in the next three months are pre-sold, meaning a customer has paid a deposit and is waiting to buy the car as soon as it arrives. I actually think that this is the wave of the future. I, you know, who who knows, you know, whether we ever what normal is anymore and whether we go back to normal. But I I think the days of auto dealers having hundreds of cars on their lot. I I think I think past. I think more and more people this is how you're going to buy a car. You're going to go in and you say like in my example you you want a Toyota. Okay, well we've got a Toyota Camry on the lot. You can test drive it, but you know that you know, if if you really want a Toyota Camry, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to order it. But the good news is we can make sure we can get it in your color. We can make sure we can get it, you know, with all the different bells and whistles that you want on it or that you don't want on it. And then you negotiate your best price. 855-616-1620. Uh, let's start with uh, Brian in Brookfield. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What do you think? Good topic. Well, uh, ironically, my son, my son turned 16 in January. I bought him a uh, 2022 Escalade, ordered it six months early because I knew there was an issue with uh, chips and so forth. Put down a deposit on the vehicle, had a contract. They called me, car's in, come pick it up. When I get there, they said, good news, bad news, the car's here, but this car's got a premium right now, so you're going to have to pay 15000 more than you signed the contract for because we have brokers that want to pay 30000 plus more. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. We have a contract. And they're like, we'll give you back your deposit. You can either take it or leave it. And I was kind of like, you know, held by hostage because, you know, my son wanted this car. There's no other cars on the lot, so I had to pay an extra $15,000 for this luxury vehicle. Hmm. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not, I don't practice law on the radio. I'd, I'd be curious to see what that contract said. Obviously, the contract gave him an out to get out from under selling that you, you the car, I yep. would assume. 
Yep. Yeah. So that that, that was in the small print. Brokers calling them. Yeah, there's not. I never read the small print. I thought a contract's a contract. You put deposit down, sign the contract. It's a handshake. You know, it's a handshake deal with a contract. You have to honor it. I'm honoring it. I'm going to buy it. And they said there are so many brokers offering thirty thousand more than what you paid for it. And it's a business decision. They'll give me back my deposit, or I can, you know, cut them a check for the difference. So <laughs> that's kinda, nice. Uh, that, that's nice. Wait, wait a second. The, the dealership is that, that's very nice of them. They're not going to give you the car at the agreed yeah. upon price, but they will give you your deposit right. back. <laughs> I'll, I'll get my deposit back, and then I go out and try to find something else. Yeah, sorry, but no, great yeah. topic. But that is happening. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, no, th- thanks for the call, Brian. I appreciate it. Again, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the that that would well i don't there's a word i would use that i try not to use on the radio very often but it it would honk me off if something like that happened again i'd have to look at the de- agreement but i if it was like he presented wait a minute i i, I signed a contract I agreed that I was going to give you X amount of money. I paid the down payment on that, and then you're coming in, and now you're telling me that you're not going to give me the car unless I give you X amount of dollars more. I, I th- That would not have gone over very well with me. Now, again, maybe there's some small print that allowed him to get out of it, but I wouldn't be in a hurry to get back to that dealer. But, again, I, I understand this is the type of thing that, that's going on where they're charging more money, and sometimes you can do it in such a way to get bad feelings. But I guess my, my bigger point here is is just the way you order stuff stuff because that that's i i got a text from somebody so this is how i've always got purchased cars and that may well be but that's not the way most people buy cars most people buy cars by saying you know what i i'm i'm ready and and sometimes new car purchases are impulse purchases as well we're going to go and this is what we want those days i think are i think they're really over 855-616-1620 jeff this is nothing new back in the 70s my dad bought every car that way because he was very particular um <laughs> yeah well that's you know that that that's certainly it i mean again if if it's you want all the features i get it jeff i remember the same car buying procedure back in the 19 um 60s. number of people are, are kind of mocking Brian. They're saying, who the heck buys a 16-year-old a brand-new Escalade? <laughs> that, that's a whole other story. That's not why he called up to talk about the story. Jeff, I'm so glad I bought my vehicle right before this virus stuff started. Just recently, I saw an exact same vehicle with 30,000 more miles on it for $6,000 more than what I paid for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Jeff, I think this is... The, the future, you order what you want online, they call you when it shows up. Manufacturers will have a user-friendly website where you click on the accessories that you would like, you put down a non-refundable down payment, and when your car arrives at the lot, you pick it up. I can only assume financing will be done the same way. Tesla has that process now, and it seems to work out. You know, it is, I, I think the next car, I new car I purchase is probably going to be a little bit like that because... I've gotten, as I get older, I've gotten a little bit more persnickety. By, by that, I mean there are certain features uh, that, I, that I like that I, I would want on, on the car. And, and I, I never used to really be this way, but, I mean, lately there are some things that, that I want. And so, for example, if I want, I'm using the example of Toyota. If, so if I wanted to buy a, a Toyota and I wanted the navigation system in the car. A lot of them, a lot of cars nowadays, they, they say it's redundant. You don't need it. You've got your phone and stuff like that. No, I still like that old navigation system. And maybe it was, I, I also want to, I want the heated seats or whatever. I, I wouldn't buy a car if these are features that would be important to me. And I wouldn't buy a car that didn't have those features just simply because they didn't have one of those type of cars on the lot. I, I would have, I'd say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait because 
I don't, I won't, I'm not going to be happy if I don't get the car that has the different features that I want on it. John in Oshkosh. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, just calling, I'm kind of in the same predicament. I was looking for a vehicle at the end of summer and you couldn't find anything on the lots. So I went into the dealership and we kind of, you know, ordered exactly what I wanted. And he told me, again, this is Labor Day week. And he said, you'll have your vehicle by December. Uh, well, then, you know, December comes along. I, you know, how are we doing? It'll be here in January. January comes up. Same thing. It'll be here in February now. They're telling me next month. I don't feel real confident that I will see that vehicle next month. And uh, I'm just wondering, how can car dealerships make a buck um, without anything on the lot? I know you, you sell used cars. And the other thing is you talk about supply chain management. Uh, remember, you know, 12, 15 years ago when they had to save the car industry and it was so important to the American economy? Why why are they dragging the feet to get this problem solved? It's This problem has been going on for almost a year now. I, I could not. Uh, thanks to culture. I could not disagree. I agree with you more on the, the, the issues. And it, it looks like it's not going to get better. Now, you do ask you asked that the question about the car dealership. And I, I might have told the story before I was. Not that long ago, I was having dinner with an acquaintance of mine who who is a car dealer. I could mention the name, and, and, and you would know who it was. And I, I was asking exactly that same question. I said, well, are you guys making any money? And he said, well, actually, yeah, because even though we're selling fewer cars, we're, we're selling them for more money. You know, so he said, it was, you know, so let's let's say – Let's say the car would have a sticker price of thirty thousand dollars. We typically negotiate it, and so you know we, we'd end up selling it for twenty six. I, I don't know. I'm just picking numbers out of the air. So he said. So now you know. So now the people that are coming in. They're paying thirty. So we're we're making we're selling fewer cars, but our profit margin is higher per car, which is is helping us out. Now he said, look, I'd, I'd rather have more cars to sell, but he said we're we're actually we're we're doing okay. And I mean, I want the car dealers to do okay, but I want more cars on the lot. But I do think this is one of the trends in the future. It's just go in and now I don't know in your particular situation, especially for these in-demand cars like you're looking for. Don't don't know what the you know I don't know when it's going to ease up. And I, I think the car dealers. I'm sure the car dealer is hoping and against hope that your car comes in so he can get you off their back. And I'm not saying you're being unreasonable and, you know, send you down the road as opposed to having an angry customer. But I think this may be the wave of the future. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.